0: All right, so these past couple of months, we've been uh, going over, you know, the Baptist faith and message. Got the little booklet right here. You know, a little booklet with uh, pretty much starting from what we believe about God, the Father, to the Son, the Holy Spirit, uh, along uh, with many other things. Um, And today we'll be getting to the baptism and the Lord's Supper. Um, Now... Also, we've been talking about, through all this, the different types of uh, sort of levels of importance to, to the stuff that we believe in, right? So we, we've talked about sort of the, the top level, the very important stuff. Um, and it's what we went over at the beginning with the, the Father, uh, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Stuff where if we disagreed about it, we would say, you know, you're not a believer, um, or we're not believing the same thing at all anymore. It's completely different. Um, and it's a different religion. It's not the same thing anymore and then there's a, the the tier below it so the, the the secondary level stuff um to where we we could disagree on it we're not going to say where one of us is not a believer but we're also not going to be able to be in the same church right they're big enough issues to where we have to be in in, in separate uh, churches and then there's the the lower level stuff which it's still important but it's not to the point where we have to uh split where we have to be in different churches um, we can be in the same church. Um, we can do stuff together. Everything We can, um, just do as we would do right now, just be together, but we'd just be different um, opinions and different uh, ways we think of, of certain things. And baptism and the Lord's Supper, we would say, would fall into that middle category, that second category, right? Where, where it's it's important, but we can disagree on it, and we'll have to be, if we disagree, we won't really be able to be in the same um, the same churches just because they're, they're that important uh, to us. And so today we want to go ahead and read the, what the uh, Baptist faith and message says about the baptism and the Lord's Supper. So I'll just go and just read it straight from the booklet. It says Christian baptism is the immersion of a believer in water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is an act of obedience symbolizing the believer's faith in a crucified, buried, and risen Savior. The believer's death to sin and the burial of the old life and the resurrection to walk in the newness of life in Christ Jesus. It is a testimony to his faith and the final resurrection of the dead. Being a church ordinance, it is a prerequisite to the privilege of the church membership and to the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a symbolic act of obedience, whereby members of the church, the partaking of the bread and the fruit of the, of the vine, Memorialize the death of the Redeemer and anticipate his second coming. All right. So let's go ahead and start with baptism first. So I want to know why is baptism important? Why is it in that, in that second level? So when will we have to be in separate churches if we disagree? Why is it um, that high up? Well, because it's something that God has directly commanded us to do, right? It's something that... that um, We can read the scriptures and see exactly where God told us to do this. In fact, we can turn to Matthew 28, verse 16. Oh, I'm on 27. That's why it didn't make sense there we go, where, where it says the, the Great Commission was something that, that we all uh, know very well, that we've heard many, many times. You know, that this right here is happening at the very end of, of the book. It's, it's after Jesus has um, finished his ministry, after he's died on the cross, resurrected, and been with the disciples for a little bit longer, just uh, instructing them and, and giving him sort of his final words, And sort of when he's about to ascend to to heaven, this is the last um, sort of words he gives to to his disciples, where it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted, and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you to the end of the age. All right, so, so here we see that this is something that's been directly uh, commanded to us by Jesus to do. So it's something that he told his disciples, hey, once you make disciples of nations, once you get someone to follow me, once you get someone um, to have faith in me, you have to baptize them. Like That's the next step, is, is for them to be baptized. So that's the reason why it's, it's very important for us. And we also see that disciples didn't just take this lightheartedly. They didn't just receive the commandment and just you know, say, ignore it, right, we'll get to it when we get to it. If we have time to baptize them, we'll baptize them. If not, we'll just leave it how it is. No, it's something that we saw them do right away. You know, if we, if we go to Acts, um, specifically Acts uh, chapter 2, verses 37 through 41, and this is uh, when um, Philip w- was talking to the Ethiopian uh, eunuch. Right? We see that, that uh, Philip w- was walking and all of a sudden hears the word of God uh, being spoken through, uh, in a carriage. And he comes and says, hey, what's going on here? What, what, why are you reading the word of God? And it's an Ethiopian eunuch who, who is just coming from Jerusalem and he's reading the word uh, of God out loud, trying to understand it. And so we see that Philip starts preaching to him um starts explaining exactly what he's reading. Right, and, that, and that's where we come to the end of it after after this uh, this eunuch has decided to believe uh, in God. And so I'll start reading from verse 37. Where it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong um, I'm in the wrong part. It's chapter 8. Verse 34. There you go. And when the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. So right here we see, right after uh, Philip has, has finished sort of preaching the word of God to this eunuch, the very first thing that they do after that is baptize him. Now We'll also go back to um, Acts chapter 2, where I was at earlier. And this is um, after, you know, Peter uh, has been preaching the word of God to the, to the Israelites preaching them uh, about Jesus uh, and, and telling them to have faith in who Jesus was, where it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, every one of you, whom the Lord our God calls to Him, and with many other words he bore witness and con- continued to exhort them, saying, "Save yourself from this crooked generation." So those who received his word were baptized, and they, they and there were added to that day about three thousand souls. So again, we see right after they finished preaching the word of God, and they decide to have faith in Jesus, they immediately go to baptism. And then the last one in Acts uh, 16. And this th- this one is when um, we see that Paul and, and Silas are in jail. Uh, and, and they're just singing to God, and all of a sudden there's this huge earthquake. Um, and, and pretty much every the, the jail opens up, everybody's able to escape, but yet nobody escapes. And then the guard realizes that you know the, the doors are open. People probably escape. I'm gonna um, lose my job. I'm gonna lose everything. And so he's about to kill himself when when Paul stops and says, "No, we're all here." And then the jail invites him to the house. And again, Paul preaches the word to him, and him and his household all um, believe in God. It says once they do, um, it says, and they said, "Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household." And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed the wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. So again, we see that this is not something that that once the disciples received this commandment from God, that they just um, ignored or said that we'll get to it when we'll get to it, or it's not that important. Um, it's something that was very important to them um, and that they did immediately. And so with that knowing that, that that's the reason why we do baptism, that's um, we're going to look at what exactly baptism means. Like, what does it mean to uh, baptize someone? And so with that, we'll start with the sort of definition. I'll break it up into two parts. Um, The first part is just that first part where it says, baptism is the immersion of a believer in water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what what this is saying is that baptism, for us, is immersing someone completely in water. And the way we get this um, partly is through the Greek word that is used to, to describe baptism. Whenever the Bible talks about baptism, that Greek word is uh, baptizo. And baptizo essentially means to dip um, or submerge, which typically means, you know, get it all in the water. Uh, and so that, that's what leads us to, to say that baptism is meant to be a complete submersion into water. Right? It's, not, it's not just a, a simple splash or a or, or pour. Uh, but it is a submersion into water. Uh, and what also helps us come to this conclusion is just like we saw earlier with, um, with Philip and, and the eunuch. right? They, they had to stop and baptize. And surely they were carrying water in that, in that carriage. Surely they had some water there for drinking um, or washing, uh, whatever they needed to wash. Yet that water was not enough for them to baptize. The eunuch had to say, "Look, there's there's water right there. Uh, let's, uh, why, what's stopping me from being baptized?" It also says that they had to get down and go into the water. So that leads us to believe even more that, that baptism is something that it is of submersion. All right. Paul also in Romans six uh, three to five describes um, the act of baptism as, as sort of symbolizing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, and of course, you know when when we refer to burial, we typically refer to being buried in the ground. And it's supposed to symbolize that. So by submerging someone in water we're we're symbolizing being uh, dead and rising back up again to live a new life. So with these couple of things, that's how we come to the conclusion that baptism is meant to be of submersion. The second part, or the definition where it says that baptism is an act of obedience symbolizing the believer's faith in a crucified, buried, and risen Savior. So baptism is, what this is saying is that it's meant, it's an act of obedience for someone who has believed in Jesus Christ. Right? Baptism is not just for someone who uh, sees that everybody is doing it, so you know what, I might as well do it, I'll, I'll do it too. No, it's, it's meant to be uh, a believer that has professed um, his, their faith in Jesus Christ and, and is ready to publicly show uh, that he believes in God. So I said this, this means that not just anybody can be baptized, uh, which is why also whenever someone um, like on a Sunday comes and says they want to be baptized, it's not like we take them straight up to the baptistry and baptize them. Right, we, we, we always uh, take them to sometimes a small little class, saying you know, you know trying to explain exactly what baptism means, so they're completely aware um, that baptism a does not save, b is to symbolize that they um, have faith in Jesus Christ and that they're publicly going to show everybody um, that they believe in Jesus Christ. Um, this this right here reminds me of of one of my favorite movies. Um, the, my favorite movie is called um, Nacho Libre. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, um, but I, I know that I know that movie forwards and backwards. I can quote it um, pretty much any day. But there is a scene in there where um, the, there, so there's two characters, you know, there, there's Nacho and there's um, Esqueleto. Nacho is, is uh, was sort of an orphan. He works at an orphanage and it's a Catholic orphanage. So he's, he's been baptized. He's grown up with all of that. And Esqueleto was sort of like the guy who grew up in the streets, right? He's really skinny. Um, and, and sort of the running joke is that, is that he doesn't believe in God. He believes in science. That's sort of the big thing. And um, they're about to go into this wrestling match. And Nacho goes up to him and it's like, I'm a little worried, you know, about your salvation and stuff. He's like, how come you've never been baptized? And so Esqueleto just said, you know, I, I never got around to it. I just, you know, it's just something that never happened. And Nacho's like really concerned about it. And so he goes to, to a little sink, gets a little, um, like a big bowl, fills it up with water. And, you know, he's just talking during this time, sort of sneaking up behind him. And, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, just dunks his head into the water and raises it back up. And he's like, congratulations, you've been baptized. So sort of to to, to Nacho that, that sort of baptism for him, you know, just getting wet with water by someone who's like saying, you know, you're baptized now and you're saved. He's like, so for Nacho, anybody can be baptized. As long as someone's doing it to you and you're baptized, you're saved. And But that's not how we see it, right? Uh, of course, we, we see baptism as the um, demonstration of one's faith. It's not just getting splashed water. And so with this, we also come to the conclusion that, that baptism is um, basically for people who are able to um, express their faith and so it is not we do not believe in infant baptism we would say All right? an and infant is, is someone who is not really able to express um, sort of their faith um, I know Kate right now she is six months old she doesn't know what she's doing she has no idea I can try my best to tell her no to try to teach her not to do something um, if I'm holding um, say a piece of paper she loves paper right now I don't know why she loves paper, she likes to crinkle it, it's it's a weird thing, but if I'm holding a piece of paper she'll always try to grab it. And I could always, I could look at her and say no, I could put her hand down and say no, don't touch that. I can say it a hundred times and she'll still do it. Not because she's trying to disobey and she understands what I'm saying and she just wants to do what she wants. She really doesn't know what I'm saying and is thinking I'm just, you know, putting her hand down temporarily and then letting her grab it again. She has no idea. And so, just like she has no idea about that, she has no idea about um, Jesus. She has no idea about what God has done for her. She has no idea about the, the, the sinful person that she is going to become. And so, since she's not able to realize that, she cannot profess her faith and she cannot be baptized. And so, this is, like I said, this is why we, we do not believe in infant baptism because they are not able to show and express their faith towards God you know we see some churches that, that do it um, we see it predominantly in the Catholic church that, that do infant baptism they do it around three months typically sometimes younger um, I know my wife was was uh, baptized in the Catholic church and she sometimes jokes around it's like you know I've been uh, baptized twice you know I'm, do- I'm double holy but you know I try to, try to say no not really you've just been baptized once you were sprinkled with water the first time um, but it's just we, we, we want to baptize someone once they are able to fully understand and, and express their faith towards Jesus Christ. And there, there's a lot more on, on baptism that, that we could go into. There's um, a lot more into the infant baptism. There, there's some arguments for it, arguments against it, arguments that, that defend it. Um, there's just a lot of stuff uh, for it. Um, and for that, if if you guys are ever wanting to get more information about that, this little book that I used, the Understanding Baptism, it's it's uh, it's a series called Church Basics. It's it's uh, written by uh, Mark Dever. He is the pastor at Capitol Hill Baptist Church at Washington D.C. And it's just it was a great book to sort of some, give like a quick summary and a quick uh, understanding about what baptism is. They have some others. Uh, they have some on the Lord's Supper. They have some on um, just the congregation, church leadership. Um, But this baptism one is a really good one. I I really enjoyed reading it, and it made it really simple to understand. So if you guys ever want to know more about, um, like, say, infant baptism, this is a good place to start. All right, and then the, the, the third and final part of this little definition is that it is a prerequisite to the privilege of church membership and to the Lord's Supper. Now, for this one, we don't really have like say, so like a scripture that that says, you know, you you need to uh, be baptized, uh, and then be, uh, or you need to, in order to become a member of a church, you need to be baptized. We don't have scripture that specifically says that, but with with the context that we have, with the way that they performed baptism, with with the churches that they founded, and how they commanded them to do it, um, we're able to come to the conclusion that in order for someone to who, who is not a believer, nor for someone to become a member of a church, um, they need to be baptized. Because if someone refuses to be baptized, let's say someone says, you know, yeah, I believe in God now. Um, and say, all right, well, are you ready to be baptized? And, and they keep on pushing back against that saying, no, I don't want to be baptized. I don't want to do that. Some questions start to arise, right? You say, why? Okay, why don't why don't you want to be baptized? You're like, you, you know, baptism, is to show your profession of faith. You know, it's to to show the congregation that you truly believe. So why don't you want to be baptized? Is it that you're afraid to, you know, fully commit to it? And if you're afraid to fully commit to it, you know, or do you really truly believe um, what Jesus has done for you? So it raises those type of questions, and so that, that is part of a reason why um, being baptized is a is a prerequisite prerequisite to the privilege of church membership. And the same thing applies straight to the Lord's Supper, right? In order to take the Lord's Supper, we always say, you know, if you haven't been baptized, like, don't take it yet. Wait till you be baptized and then take the Lord's Supper. All right, and so with that, we finish the baptism definition real quick. And we'll move on to to the Lord's Supper. So with the Lord's Supper, as we know, it's something that we do the, the first Sunday of every month. And uh, To be honest, this is, this is a, the the first church I go to that that does it that frequently. The ter- the church I went to before probably did it Easter, Christmas, maybe one other time in the year. Um, and honestly, it, it was kind of disappointing um, not being able to take it as much. And whenever we came here, we saw how much we took it. Uh, I was excited and I was happy that that, that we did it as much. But the Bible does say to do it you know, every time we meet, you know, every time we, we, uh, we are together to try to do this in remembrance of God. Right? And so what is the Lord's Supper? Let's start there. The Lord's Supper. So the Lord's Supper is something that, that sort of began or started when uh, Jesus had his sort of last supper, last dinner with his disciples right before he was betrayed. All right, where they were all sitting together, and all of a sudden Jesus takes the bread. We see uh, examples of these in, in, in three in one of the three, go- in three of the four Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, in Matthew, it's in chapter 26, verses 26 to 30. And Mark is in chapter 14, verses 22 to 25. And in Luke, it's in chapter 22, verses 19 to 20. In all of these, it's pretty, pretty much the same thing. It um, follows pretty much the same order where it says, and Jesus took the bread um, and broke it and says, this is my body, eat it. He said, he said, later he took the wine. He said, This is my blood. And he says, Do this in remembrance of me. And so that, that is essentially where, where the Lord's Supper began. This is where, where the Lord's Supper started. And so, how is the Lord's Supper done? How, how, do, we, how do we do it? You know, we do it, of course, by, by partaking of bread and wine. Now, is it, does it have to be the same exact bread and the same exact wine that they had at the time? Does it have to be a certain type of bread? Does it have to be wine? Does it have, can it be juice? Um, what, what, what are the, the parameters right here? So this right here isn't really as important um, what we do right here, right? Some people do, Wafers. Some people do actual bread. I know right here, right now, we're doing that little prepackaged um, stuff, you know, with the little wafers that have, like, no flavor at all with the juice that is has a bad aftertaste. We used to have the little square cookies or the square little bread and the good Welsh juice. Now we have this. Some churches, Catholic churches I knew, have the big round wafers, um, and they do wine. Uh, we went to, whenever we were visiting churches, we went to sojourn once, and they had, um, and it looks like a fresh-baked uh, bread. They also had, like, a gluten-free option, and then they had juice. Um, so it, it doesn't really matter exactly what we use. Right? I, the important part, when it comes down to it, is that we remember what it is um, that we're eating. right? So with the bread. So what what are we eating with the bread? So in Jesus, whenever he was doing it with his disciples, and later in 1 Corinthians, when Paul describes it, uh, we see that the bread is to represent the body. This is to represent the body that died on the cross. It is to remind us that, that Jesus came down as a human. That Jesus was 100% human. That he lived a life of suffering. That he, lived, that he had a body that, that, that could be bruised, that could be scratched that could be hurt a body that when when he was crucified there was pain that's what the bread is to remind us of that that there was a, there was a body there just like ours the wine the wine is supposed to represent the blood the blood of Christ the blood that was shed on the cross for our sins the blood that 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 tore that veil that prevented us from having direct communion with God, and now we're able to have that direct communion with him, the blood that forgave all our sins. So these are that's what what's important when taking the Lord's Supper, to remember that every time we take the bread or whatever it is, it would be a wafer, fresh baked bread, flat bread, whatever it be, that we remember that it is the body of Christ, the body that suffered for us. And when we drink the wine, that it is the blood that was shed that covered all our sins. Right? And so so the Lord's Supper, like I said, it's meant to be symbolic. It's not that we're actually eating the actual um, body, the actual flesh of God or the, drinking the actual blood. It's just uh, it's, it's symbolic. It's for us to re- remind us of that. You know, there, there's some um, people, there's some Denominations that, that do believe that, that we're truly eating the, the blood and body, that, that the fancy word for that is uh, transubstantiation. So it's a big old fancy word. That essentially means, you know, the bread is, looks bread, tastes like bread, it's everything bread, but it's actually the body of Christ. The wine or juice, it, it tastes like juice, looks like juice, but it's actually the blood of Christ. That's not what, what we would uh, believe. Right, we believe that, that the bread is the bread. It is to represent the body of Christ. The wine is to represent the blood of Jesus. All right, so now who can partake of the Lord's Supper? Who can be able to take it? So, like we saw earlier with the definition of baptism, baptism is one of the requirements in order to take the Lord's Supper. And in order to be baptized, one has to be a believer. So, with that, we know that if you want to take the Lord's Supper, you have to be. A believer who has been baptized. Also, you need to, your heart needs to be in the right place whenever you're taking the Lord's Supper. It can't be in rebellion, rebellion against God. So we actually see the case of people taking the Lord's Supper with a hardened heart, with a heart with the wrong motives. We see this in 1 Corinthians um, 11. I'm sorry, my throat's a little dry. Eleven, in verses twenty-three. Well, actually, we'll start, we'll start later on because it's a, it's a long, long chapter. But I'll start in chapter thirty. That it says, "That is why many of you were weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord." We are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So if you know 1 Corinthians 11, that this is pretty much a chapter that we always use whenever it's time to, to take the Lord's Supper. right? We, the, the, the words before it, the verses before are what we always read. Where it says, you know, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my cup, my covenant, my new blood. Do this as you drink it in remembrance of me. After that is when, when, when Paul gets into the, the, the Corinthian church that decided to keep on taking the Lord's Supper even though they had hardened hearts. And we see what happened to them here. They, it says they, they became weak, ill, and some even died. So it is important for, for whoever is taking the Lord's Supper, the person who is going to take the Lord's Supper, to have a heart in the right condition, not a heart that is in rebellion with God. And like I said, this, this is also why, you know, every time we're about to take the Lord's Supper, you know, Pastor Josh always says, you know, if you haven't been, uh, if you don't believe in God, or if you haven't been baptized, um, don't take the Lord's Supper. If right now you don't, you're in a, a bad spot, you're not in a good communion with God. Don't take the Lord's Supper, or go ahead and, and get right with God right now before you take the Lord's Supper, because of stuff like this that we see that a church has done before that we don't want to happen again. And so baptism and the Lord's Supper are both um, acts to sort of symbolize um, our faith in God and sort of symbolize what he has done for us. Baptism is to show that we have believed in him and that we uh, are telling everybody that we believe in him. And the Lord's Supper is sort of to remember what God has done for us and that we are waiting for his second return. And so, let us continue to do uh, both of these things um, with the way God wants us to do, with the way the Word of God wants us to do, and with with a heart that is in in the right, in the right, uh, in the right um, sort of set. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this day. Thank you for your Word. Um, thank you for just this series that, that we've been able to go through, God, just to see what we believe in, see the stuff that um, say, so we believe in, God. For that you continue to uh, help us learn even more, um, continue the, these next uh, couple of weeks that we will be looking into a different subject, looking into the predestination, God. Help us just to learn uh, about that, God, have our hearts open, have our minds open. Pray that you uh, guide each and one of us uh, to our homes or wherever we might be going, um, and that we just continue to grow closer to you. In him I pray, amen.